Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast Editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with our editorial board members, we hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. To kick off June of 2023 and HPP's Pride Celebration, we're going to replay an old favorite from our first season, episode 23, that was recorded three years ago. And that was when we reflected back on 20 years of Pride at Health Promotion Practice Journal. But stay tuned in the rest of the month because this is just one of many episodes. We've got at least two more episodes to come, and we are so excited to be sharing this content with you. I hope you enjoy this old classic. Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast. My name is Arden Castle and I will be hosting today's episode where we will explore 20 years of pride at health promotion practice with authors and editors. I am with Carlos Rodriguez-Diaz, Lisa Carlson, and Leo Katari. So Lisa, why don't you go ahead and start us off by introducing yourself. Great, thanks Arden. I'm really happy to be with you today. I appreciate the invitation. And my day job, I'm the executive administrator for research administration at the Emory School of Medicine. I'm also a consulting editor for health promotion practice and a past author. Excellent. We're so excited to have you today. And then Carlos. Hi, thank you, Arden. It's a pleasure to be here with you and my colleagues. My name is Carlos Rodriguez-Diaz. I'm an associate professor of community health at the George Washington University Milken Institute School of Public Health. And I'm also part of the editorial board of HPP. Excellent, thank you. And Leo. Hi everyone, my name is Leo Katari. I use he and they pronouns. I'm currently a doctoral student at Michigan State University in social work, so a sibling field of public health. And previously before that, I was a public health practitioner. I'm doing lots around LGBTQ health and also um, on the editorial board for health promotion practice. Excellent. So for Pride Month, we wanted to take this opportunity to explore LGBTQ authorship and to follow up with a third episode of the podcast where Joseph Lee explained that being gay gives you a little bit of an outsider perspective to our society and that shift helps us recognize and approach problems in a new way. So with that context, I'd love to hear from each of you about the diversity of identities and lenses that you bring to your work. So be that in research, practice, or just your professional life. So Leo, can you go ahead and get us started on this one? Absolutely. So currently, I'm one of the few trans scholars in my program. And as a trans person in public health for over a decade now, I was often kind of the only person at the table. And so that's really impacted how I approach the work and in inclusivity around LGBTQ issues that I'm doing. And so you know, I think the, the lens that I bring is that oftentimes I am the outsider trying to bring in more inclusive views about gender, about healthcare, about how we ask questions, what questions we're not asking. That has led me into a lot of the advocacy work I did around how public health institutions collect data going back 
six or seven years ago with really thinking about how are we asking sexual orientations on surveys, whether it's like the behavioral risk factor surveillance system or the youth risk behavior system, IRBS, how are we asking about gender identity? Why aren't we asking these questions? And how do we ask these questions to make sure we know what's happening with LGBTQ folks across the lifespan in terms of health and wellness? Excellent. And I think that it really takes, you know, making sure the right person's at the table and we're not thinking about or really questioning our methods until we have folks that really represent those identities and all the letters of LGBTQ and the plus, all of that until they're there helping make those decisions. And so thank you for that. And Carlos, you have a little bit of a different perspective as an author. Can you kind of weigh in on this? Sure. Although I might have a little bit more experience publishing and working in the field, I think that I share with Leo the experience of bringing our identities, everything that we are, to the work that we do. That reflects, over time, have, that have changed, right? I remember probably 20 years ago when I wanted to write more about LGBT health and the work that I was doing, I was not necessarily finding the right space, nor I had the tools to feel confident in sharing all the information, all the experiences and the intersectional experiences that I personally have and that are reflected in the work that I do. Nowadays, I feel comfortable sharing everything about the work that I do, the communities that I work, and I advocate for visibility. As a Latino from Puerto Rico, and I still want to thank as a mid-career or a, a person who's still learning of the field, I, I think that sometimes the chair is not ready for us on the table, but now I feel confident to bring my own chair and make sure that I am seated on the table. Yeah, I find it so interesting what Carlos and Leo are talking about, and it's so clear that things have evolved so much and things have changed so much, but there's so many ways in which I keep being struck by things that haven't that the need for certain things like visibility really hasn't changed. So I bring the lens of a practitioner. I also really bring the lens of a lesbian woman. And so I am currently the immediate past president of the American Public Health Association. And when I took the helm as president at the annual meeting a year and a half ago, one of the things that I did in that speech in front of the annual meeting was to thank my wife. And I walked out in the hallway afterwards and someone stopped me and she said, do you know what you just did? And I, I didn't know what she meant. And she said, well, you thanked your wife. It was so visible in front of all those people. You thanked your wife. I thought, well, of course I did. But it happened multiple times during my year as president of APHA that people would say something that I had done and been out on Twitter or talk, thanked my wife in some place at any talk I gave at any affiliate really struck them as something that was so powerful. The Mississippi affiliate put in their evaluations of my talk, how refreshing it was and how wonderful it was that I felt comfortable thanking my wife there. And so, you know, I think it, it happened in a number of places and that visibility that, that in some ways, I, I think I maybe even take for granted a little bit sometimes is so important to so many people in ways that we just don't know. Definitely. And thank you all so much for sharing your personal stories and how you fit in this professional space. And so I kind of want to push a little bit deeper and understand what it means to bring your identity to what you do. We've briefly touched on this, but personally, as a young queer woman in my early career who's going to enter the public health workforce, how do I bring my authentic self to my professional life? And how have you balanced it? You've talked about 
maybe the table isn't ready for you and you have to bring your own chair or the questions we're asking don't make sense or maybe we don't know that we're being visible in ways that we're just truly already embracing our lives and so as you said lisa you're talking about thinking your wife on the apha stage and how that's impacting others so i'd love to hear about other ways where we're able to reach people and lisa you can jump right back in yeah, I mean, I think this is really important, this idea of authentic self. I mean, for me, and I think for most of us, we can't separate out our identities from our work and from our scholarship. We are who we are. We bring the lens that we bring and our experiences that we come to over all of the time that we span and having those experiences as LGBTQ people, you can't separate that from the experiences you're having in your work life, right? And so you bring all of that lens together. And I think my APHA experience was so striking to me because, you know, this past annual meeting, when I thanked my wife at the end of my presidency, Twitter went kind of crazy with people saying, I'm just so excited that she thanked her wife. That's so cool that we have a queer president of APHA. And, and I was still, again, struck by that visibility being striking to people, but it really, it clearly is reaching people in a way that you know, whatever piece that we bring and that we share tells other people, this is a strong and okay thing to do. This is be yourself and be your authentic self. And it informs and complements and really enhances everything that you do. I agree with Lisa. And in fact, if we were white heterosexual individuals, we wouldn't have in this conversation because we, that experience has been normalized or has been broadly socially accepted. And we are still fighting to have a similar recognition. And in fact, I think that while we would like to get the same recognition, the same respect, as a queer scientist, I also want to keep things queer in the sense that I don't want to normalize it to be in the same place, but to actually have an opportunity to look at things and bring experiences that are different because that reflects our societies. We are diverse. And in our case, we are diverse by many reasons. What we have in common is sexual diversity identity as is defined right now. Hopefully in the future, that would be less of a conversation, but it is important now because it's still difficult for other people, for young scholars to embrace everything that they are. Lisa has mentioned the experience she had uh, thanking her wife at APHA. And I remember when I met Lisa at APHA, I want to say like probably 15 years ago, and I met her with her wife. And I was this queer, gay, Latino guy from Puerto Rico in my early 20s, lost at APHA. But I found a room where something that I can't relate to beyond the expertise in the area, public health, health education, health promotion, was valid, was respected, and it was visible. So it made me feel at home. And after that, APHA became my professional home. And I have been fortunate to have Lisa as a mentor, as a person who have made people like us visible within a very large organization. And further, I've had the opportunity to receive awards from APHA. And in, in 2018, I went to APHA to receive an award for mentorship. Lisa was there and my husband was there with me. And I thanked my husband from the podium. 
And I felt empowered to do so, not only because he deserved to be thanked for all of his support, but it was also important for my mentees, the young people there and people like Lisa and myself who had fought and appreciate the fact that we have a personal stories and professional stories that belong to public health, that belong to the work that we do. I love that, Carlos. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and Lisa and Carlos, I think right on for what you're both sharing and, and Lisa, what you were saying around our personal and professional identities are not static, isolated identities. And there's that intersection that makes us who we are. And also I think brings us to the work that we're doing in public health. Our identities are why we care so much about people's health and wellness. And we shouldn't sit back and just let the status quo continue to be the status quo. Carlos, as you're saying, we should challenge it. We should bring our full authentic selves to the work we're doing. And I, I would agree with how important mentorship is in this realm, where for me, myself, even as a, a kind of a younger professional, I always made the intentional decision because I could and I had the safety to, to be out as a trans person in the spaces I was going in because I didn't have to worry about being fired from my job or, or violence and things like that. And so I was able to do that. And so I intentionally tried to bring that to the work I did, especially because I worked with a lot of young people and wanted to show them that, you know, it's okay to be out if everything is safe around you. But on the other side of that, as thinking about the folks who are my mentors, who kind of led the pathway for me to be able to even think about, oh, I can have a PhD one day too. That querying of mentorship is so important because our communities look and work and think differently than straight cisgender communities do. And there's different relationships and different ways we navigate the personal and professional and make these decisions about, do I come out on stage or not? That are so important that straight gender people don't have to think about. And so having those mentors that are querying the path before us is just so important. Definitely. And thank you. And I appreciate you all imparting that wisdom upon me. And as you've said, we can't separate these things. You know, we will always have a different perspective and, and that can enlighten our work. That can be the strength of our research. And I'd like to even push a little bit further on this intergenerational knowledge as someone who's about to start a career. I couldn't even say early career, really. And hear a little bit about what has changed over time. We're kind of talking about how we would expect this visibility to not be so surprising. And yet when it happens, it gets this really good response and we still need to continue doing it. But maybe we need to do it for more reasons than just owning our own selves in these professional places. And so the July commentary by HVP's editor-in-chief, Kathleen Rowe, notes that we published our first article addressing LGBTQ health and health disparities in 2001. So that is 20 years ago to this month. And so Lisa, your very important tobacco article was published a few years after that initial one. Will you tell us a little bit about that research on tobacco industry targeting of LGBT communities and what was the publishing climate like 20 years ago for LGBTQ scholarship? Yeah, I wrote that article with my wife and a gay male colleague who had a lot of experience in tobacco. And we were at the time thinking that it was a little niche paper about something we were really outraged about. And so the idea that all this time later, people recognize something in that article that strikes them is really remarkable to both of us. That it just, it's just lovely. But, you know, we were at the time thinking as three LGBTQ people who were at the time all working in tobacco prevention, that it was so apparent the specific and intentional marketing of our community 
to hook people into tobacco and the intentionality of it was, it, we were outraged. And so I think trying to be able to tell people this is there and show people the pictures and the ways that it was being done and the visual things that were so subtle, but so clearly there once you could see them. And to sort of just expose people to, hey, did you know this was happening? And, and it really did, I think at the time, think of it as this little niche paper that we cared a lot about and had something to say about. And I recently learned from editor Kathleen Rowe that that paper made the list of the most influential papers in the journal. And I, we, I mean, it's just remarkable that somebody would come along, a new generation of young queer scholars would come along and see something in that and, and know that history and be able to take that and apply that in new ways now to really champion, protect, defend our community against those kinds of really what were attacked against our health and, you know, and against us uh, as a community that was vulnerable. And I think the idea that people are, are picking up some of this scholarship that's, you know, from older times and saying there's something new in here that we can learn and take forward is, is just lovely. I just want to chime in and respond, Lisa, to like that, that article and that scholarship that you worked on informed my own public health experience in my internship where I worked on an LGBT smoking cessation program. And so by you doing that and just the small group of LGBT scholars wanting to just get the word out led to this whole, you know, continuation of interventions that have happened that I myself have benefited from that work that you did and you bringing a voice to that and, and raising awareness about it. So thank you for that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And we're such in a fortunate niche where these experiences enrich our own careers, but also as Leo just shared, support the work of others. And now in the work that we are doing in health promotion practice, we're not only embracing the work that queer scientists are doing publishing on LGBT health issues by pushing it a little bit further and understand that the health inequities and disparities that LGBTQ populations have experienced over decades is not only about the sexual orientation and gender identity, but the intersection of other factors. And currently we are facilitating the publications of papers, opinion pieces, and research manuscripts that are addressing the issues affecting LGBT populations, not necessarily in comparison with other groups based on gender and sexual orientation, but other identities and experiences that we have as LGBTQ communities. As a Latino, that's a great opportunity for me to not only learn from the work that has been done, let's say in the context of the United States, but also to understand how the experiences of queer youth or queer adults that are Latinos or that have an experience of migration might be different, might require that we have different strategies for intervention. So I am very fortunate that we have pushed the field to be not only more inclusive, but to help us question our research and how we approach the work that is needed to improve LGBTQ health. Carlos, I'll chime in again and just say, I think that the intersectional approach to scholarship and research is so important and thinking about how 
you know, in the early 2000s, oftentimes research did lump together this one LGBT experience, which is just not true, as you were saying, is that, you know, sexuality looks different than gender, looks different across different races and backgrounds and experiences. And as scholars, uh, we need to do due diligence to make sure we're not just lumping everyone together. And health promotion practice does a pretty good job making sure that when articles are being reviewed, they're not doing broad generalizations of what the community and health disparities experience look like. An important piece of the whole publication process is the peer review, right? I remember when I started publishing on LGBT health issues that I would get comments back, almost questioning the way I was defining sexual orientation and gender identity, or suggesting not to do certain analysis because it was quote unquote irrelevant. Nowadays, because we are in editorial boards, we can provide with competent scientists and knowledgeable scholars who can bring their knowledge and improve the papers that are being reviewed on these topics. So I think that speaks of the importance of having representation, not only in the authorship, but also in the bodies that make decisions. And, and bringing our knowledge, our identities is valid and is important. And that's why we have to do it. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about how the commentary talks about how HVP published an LGBTQ-focused article within its first two years, but then it only published two more in its first decade. So it definitely seems like things are different now when we're talking about this intentionality and having queer voices at the decision-making table as reviewers, as journal articles. And so I'd kind of like to, if we can specifically identify and kind of help the field move forward. I know we've kind of danced around different ways that we're experiencing this, but how have you found publishing in and interacting with health promotion practice as an LGBTQ plus author or board member? So are there things that we are doing well, pieces where we can grow, lessons that we've learned, or any other useful tips for other journals perhaps? And I'll kind of open the floor to whoever wants to jump in. I know we're kind of talking through this, but can we kind of name those things that we're doing well or that we want to see done better? I could jump in and say, I think, you know, the public health field, while it made a lot of gains and has been a more progressive than maybe some other fields out there, it often was very silent around LGBTQIA issues and research. And I think that's a reflection of why there was this like delay in continuing to publish works around LGBTQIA health disparities. And I'm thinking back to when I, I worked for an LGBTQ advocacy organization and I was sitting at the table with the state health department and we were like, our legislators are saying in order to pass policy, we need to prove to them that trans people exist in this state. and. So we're like, what better way than do a health survey on trans and gender diverse folks? And the health department kind of laughed at us in that meeting, being like, you're never going to get enough respondents on a survey just for trans people. And they're like, how many do you think about? And we're like, you know, we'd be really happy with 200. And they're like, ha, that's never going to happen. You'll get maybe 50. You know, and then flash to six months later after, you know, we were collecting all that data and we got almost 500 responses. And at that point, the folks we were working with at the health department were like, wow, if you ask it, people will respond. And it shifted the whole culture of that health department being like, we need to ask these questions because then we're just going to get this richer data set. And I think we were seeing that reflection across the public health field and various fields like social work as well. And I think 
having representation on your board, like Carlos was saying, with health promotion practice, I think a quarter of the board identifies in the LGBTQIA spectrum, which is just amazing. And then that's voices at the table making those decisions. I think oftentimes what I run into, I do a lot of scholarship around trans health and wellness, is that more broad general population journals reject my articles and tell me to go to transgender health or a trans specific journal. And it, it's very frustrating because I'm like, no, that's preaching to the choir. We need to reach a broader audience for folks with this research. So I think health promotion practice does a fairly good job, again, kind of recognizing and reviewing those articles and critiquing them in good ways and making sure they're inclusive um, and representative more so than maybe some other journals. But I think also recruiting authors to publish in the journal, something that any journal can do and making sure that we're a journal that wants to know about LGBTQIA health disparities. We want your research and data and so share it with us. So maybe that's an area for growth. I think it's important to recognize that health promotion practices doing things like this podcast, right? And the pride content that's been out all month. I mean, these are things that are intentional and are visible and you know really powerful stuff and i think health promotion practices to be lauded for doing it i agree if i were to give an advice to other journals it would be to make decisions deliberately knowing what you want and planning accordingly and so we are seeing outcomes now in health promotion practice we have a special issue coming up that is addressing race and racism, but we on purpose got the information about the special issue in networks where people who are doing LGBT health could see it. And we got submissions where we are addressing LGBT health and racism, right? And those are very specific decisions that were made because we want to support the work and we want to make sure that it's visible and that we have opportunities for this kind of research to be published. And I agree with Leo also shared, the beauty of health promotion practice is that it has a broad audience. Many of us who are doing LGBT health or trans health research are often unable to publish in journals that have a broad audience precisely because some editors believe that we should go to the special journals. And we have, we need uh, scientists the take of other scientists who might not be doing LGBT health, but that are competent in the field and have perspective that make our research be better. And we have better publications when we have a conversations among people that have similar knowledge in the area. So I think those are examples of good work that has been done through HPP that can be replicated in other journals. And we don't need to wait too much to do this. The hands are out there. We are willing to contribute. And we have asked about sexual orientation in our board. I'm pretty sure that if other editors ask about sexual orientation in their boards, they will get answers. And with that information, then they can decide what to do. And I'm pretty sure that particularly in the health field, we need to diversify our editorial boards and the editors who are making decisions. So the best thing that we can do is ask and do something with the information that you get. Because if you don't ask, you don't know, and you will make a lot of assumptions. 
Excellent. And thank you for such an honest assessment of what we're doing well. And you're right, like we don't need to wait. We've been here ready to speak and be at that table and not necessarily silently and that we need our other journals to continue to ask and make space for that. And so as we kind of reflect outward, I'd like to know a little bit in our final minute, what kind of encouragement would you offer younger LGBTQ scholars or practitioners? And so Carlos, I'll jump right back to you. What kind of advice would you give to folks that are entering the field? You don't have to be anybody but yourself. And there are people that will support you, that will provide guidance and mentorship that will be useful to you. Not everybody's ready for you, and that's fine. That happens. Bring who you are to the work that you do. That's welcome. Is if something happened and if you feel unwelcome, it's not your fault. Lastly, make sure that you also select to work with people that will provide for a safe environment and that you go to institutions that are safe for you to be you. And if you find somebody that is not necessarily in your academic institution or that you don't know, but you like the person work, send an email. If something I have found in our communities is that there is a lot of solidarity. You are not alone. You might not have the support right next to you right now, but you'll get it. Just reach out, ask for help, and we'll be super happy to welcome new people, new ideas, and support each other. Excellent. And then that kind of connects with what Leah was talking about, about querying the pipeline and this mentorship. Did you want to go ahead and jump in with some advice? Sure. I mean, I think Carla said it beautifully. I don't know if I have much to add to that, but I also, I think what I, I will say is that you are exactly where you should be in this moment and on your journey. And I think, you know, imposter syndrome runs rampant, especially for queer folks. And so don't question that you are a place where you don't belong because you definitely belong there. And you also deserve to be able to challenge the status quo and make things better. Just as folks have for you, you can do for others as well. And mentorship doesn't just mean people above you, it's people equal, your colleagues too, you can mentor across and you can mentor under as well. And so think about how you represent the work you're doing and yourself and know that you're deserving and that you're doing great work and to acknowledge that. You know, I, I've been an out lesbian for 35 years now, and so I've seen so much change in that time. But there are, I think, some fundamental things that do not change, like the need to be visible to those who come after us. And it's important no matter where you are in your journey to own who you are, to be your authentic self, to bring that to everything you do, because what you have to say matters. The perspective that you bring to it matters and is important. And, you know, I echo Carlos saying, you are not alone. And I would say beyond that, you are next. So, you know, we are connected generation to generation and you are next. It's your turn to come and to add and bring your voice to this. And, and we want to hear from you. I love that. And what a wonderful way to wrap up our episode. I want to thank you all so much for imparting your wisdom, being vulnerable and sharing this space with me and just really helping celebrate pride in the ways that we can be successful, the places that we've gone and in, in the room for us to grow and 
really inspiring, at least me, but I'm sure all of our listeners of where we can go and that we really, we can own where we are in the public health world. We don't need to be, as Leo was saying, this imposter syndrome, which really is hard to battle against, but to understand that we have folks all around us that want to see us be successful and that we can be the next person that provides that visibility as Lisa did for Carlos, which is amazing that you never know who you can be for someone else. So I want to thank you all so much for your time and your space today. Thanks for having us with you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.